Praise God. Praise God. Good morning. How are you? You good? Or you you're trying? I'm glad you're good. I'm also good. So, um, I'm trying to figure out uh, how I should teach what I want to teach tonight today. Um, I'll find a way. Uh, let's go to Revelations. Let's go to Revelations. I started, we, 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 we began teaching our series on how to prepare for the move of God in your life, right? And then last week I kind of took a detour uh, to discuss some few things. Uh, I think we should continue on that trail. Let's continue on that trail. Uh, Revelations chapter 3 chapter 3 praise God verse let's read from verse 14 And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. He says, I know your works. It is a futile job to try and masquerade oneself in life. It's vanity. You know, so many of us hide behind many facades, many many masks and it is futile because the more you hide the worse you become you lose identity you lose recognition of your own self so he says I know I know your works so there's, there's no use trying to masquerade, to hide. I know your works. That means everything you are, everything you do, is known by God. Is known by God. So he knows every single thing about you. He said, I know your works. I know your works. So, whatever station, whatever level you're at in life, he knows. He has intimate knowledge of 
the station at which you're at. And he's telling this church that he is aware of the work or the works that they do. So he says, that you are neither cold. <laughs> so, so being cold is a work. It's an activity. That you are neither cold nor hot. In, in other words, he's saying, being cold and being hot is a work. It's a function of activity. So if you, if you ever find, found yourself laxed in life, right? Cold, laid back, it's a work. Remember, the Bible says, there is payment or there are wages given for every work. The Bible says there is profit in all labor. There is profit. No matter what you do, you can profit off of it. Even sin. You can profit off of sin. <laughs> and you know what, what, what are the profits, the dividends of sin? So Jesus says, hey, hey, hey. I know your works. You, you are neither cold nor hot. So, so whatever they were doing, they, they were playing both sides of the field. They were playing the hot side and they were playing the cold side. In training, they call that contrast therapy. When... You, you immerse yourself in hot and cold environments sequentially. And Jesus found offense. Now, this is not what I'm talking about, all right? But it's part of what Jesus said, so we might as well stay with it. So, he says... You are playing a dangerous game. Because I don't know how to deal with you. Because you're, you're, you're in between. So I really don't know how to deal with you. So that means Jesus, Jesus, the Lord, the Lord is an absolutist. That means it's either you're one side or the other. There's no middle ground. Your works. So uh, when you look at yourself, how would you picture the thermometer of your activity? Is it hot? 
is it cold? If it's hot, there's a solution. If it's cold, there's a solution. But if it's lukewarm, there's no solution. Jesus, Jesus does not have a solution for lukewarmness. He does not have a, a, a solution. And, and, and he, he describes it by what he says next. He says, I wish, I wish you were hot or cold. Because then I'd know how to deal with you. I'd know from where to approach you. But I don't know. Because I, you, are, you are playing in between. You know a robot, right? When, when you program a robot, right, and you give it a specific target, right, and you say, kill Ngosana, right? And then the robot detects Ngosana, right? And then uh, those, those numbers go like target found, right, target locked. And then mics come in. What begins to happen? A glitch comes in, right? Because now, whatever the target is locked in, is interrupted by, by what? By an entity that is not programmed into it. So now it's confused and many times it malfunctions because there was an anomaly or rather a Trojan that was presented to its programming. So it malfunctions. So it looks like Jesus' system cannot tolerate certain kind of work. He cannot tolerate lukewarmness. He can tolerate coldness, but not lukewarm. It's strange. It's strange. He said, I wish you were hot or cold. But because you are neither, he says, I will vomit you out. Now, when you vomit food, it's because your, your system rejects it. Right? Your system rejects it. So, Jesus' system rejects lukewarmness. Now, he, he first told you, this says the beginning, the chief of the creation of God. He is the genesis of creation. And that genesis says, lukewarmness is not allowed in my system. So, a man has to decide in life the intensity of his work. He has to decide whether that work would be hot or cold. He cannot say, today I will be cold, tomorrow I will be hot, the next day I will be cold. The man who engages in such work is spewed out. Is vomited. That means that man cannot receive help from God. Cannot receive help from the forces 
of life. Because you only know, or God only knows how to deal with you when you're on either side. Not when you're on both. I know your works. I know. Well, we're talking about money, right? We're talking about its importance, its value. I know your works. Listen to what they say, right? Jesus, all this time, Jesus is saying, I know. Let's read. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, so there's a distinction between rich and wealthy. Otherwise, they would not be separated, right? And become wealthy and have need of nothing. So they thought they had needed. So whatever they were doing, right, in their lukewarm state, I want you to see this. Whatever they, are, they were doing in their lukewarm state, right? In their lukewarm state, yielded results. It yielded false riches, false wealth. And it gave them a mindset. Because you say, What this scene helps us understand is the nature of things. That many times things are not as they appear. Because here's this crew saying, ah, we are rich. We are wealthy. We don't need nothing anymore. We are fine. They come to, to a point in, in their deception that they, 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 they had need of nothing. So they were living as though they had need. And Jesus is exposing them. No, no. You, you are lukewarm. You, you are in dangerous territory. And, and that is why you have such deceptive thoughts coming your way just because you're rich. But you don't know. Read there. But you don't know. Oh. <laughs> that you are what? You, you, what's wretched? It, 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 it's the stress of toil. It's, it's, it's being under the burden of toil. Jesus said, you don't know. You are wretched. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. And you are miserable. So though, th that state that, that was shrouded 
by their riches. Heed their true nature. So they are unable to perceive based on what they had around them that really we are wretched. So what Jesus is saying is that the, the state of your lukewarmness has given you an identity before me. Do you understand that? Remove the fact that they say they are rich. Look at what Jesus is saying because what matters is what Jesus is saying. Jesus tells them that your works are lukewarm. And based on that lukewarmness, you are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. And you are unprotected. That means in the absence of riches, that state will be visible. So money can hide who you are. Money can hide who you are from yourself. Its absence, its absence is good because it reveals the state of your works. The quality of your work. So a man, a man, a man who who is absented from riches, absented from wealth, is able to see clearly who they are. So, God is more concerned about the revelation of you to you. So that is why the basis of of all men is nothingness. You are started with nothing. You see, it, it, it's like in a relationship. You really don't know who you are in a relationship with until there's no money. Until there's nothing, you will never really know who, who you are in a relationship with. The boss is a poor man has no friends. In the day of adversity, he says he, he has no friends. A poor man. But look at rich men. So Jesus is saying to these folks, hey, let me show you your true state. That, that comes from your works. Now, for us, you don't need your true state to be shown you. You, you experience it. He says, you are what? So lukewarmness in works produces what? Poverty. It produces what? Wretchedness. And it produces what? Nakedness. What is nakedness? We read it last week. Money is a defense. So lukewarmness will render you protectionless. So now ask yourself, if you are Mike, ask yourself, Mike, are you wretched? Are, are, are you straining under the load of toiling? Mm, mm, mm. 
Are you miserable? Are you poor? Are you blind? Only you can answer that question. And the answer to that question will tell you that you have a relationship with lukewarmness. You have have a relationship. Because Jesus never said, I know who you are. He said, I know your works. this This is about works. Not who they are. It's about works. Who they are, who they became, resulted from the quality of their work. So, so dabbling in hotness and coldness gave them access to riches. Then listen to what Jesus says. This is what I'm giving is called light. It's light. It's, see, I'm a literalist. You know what's a literalist? It's some, someone who, who, who takes and observes things as they are. So that's much more closer to a realist than a theorist. Right? So when I look at the scriptures, I take the scriptures, at my revelation is what the scriptures say. Not, not what I'm trying to know, is what they say. And because men have a tendency to miscontrol, like Peter said, because of their lack of understanding, they end up living philosophical life which have no practicality. You see, if, if, you are, if you are a literalist, it's much more easier for you to be a practitioner. Much more easier. For instance, most of you, you live in a bubble. You live in a bubble. You, you, you live or you enact with the world as you would want it to be. And, and that's why Many, that's where many of the frustrations in your life come from. It's from the fact that you want the world to be what is not. I'll give an example. For how long have you been complaining about food prices, petrol hikes? And for how long has this been going on? Since the day you were born, things have been going up. Where's the complaint coming from? It's from the fact that your desires of the world you live in are far removed from the reality that is presented to you. So you are frustrated because you want the world to be what is not. The Bible never said the world should not conform to you. He said you should not conform to the world. Because that means the world will never change. It will always operate 
It will always be the way it is. It will never change to accommodate you. But you, you should never adapt to its standards. But he's given you tools, resources, by which through the alteration of yourself. So the problem is not the world. The problem is not a rise in food prices. The problem is not a rise in inflation. The problem is you. Is your life, is your mindset, is your transformation ability able to match up with the frequency with which the world is moving? So many of you, you, you're left behind. You're left behind. The the world is moving forward. You you are still stuck in a bubble. And you're wondering why are things so expensive? They're expensive because you have not moved on with the world. So he says, what you need to do is you need to transform yourself. If you transform yourself, he says, you will realize that whatever happens in the world does not affect you. Because you have the mindset to deal with whatever is happening. He says, I know your works. I know. So, in order for you to begin your journey of eradicating despondency in your life, can I read you something? Can I read you something? Um, Samuel. First Samuel, chapter 22. And then we'll go back to Jesus. First Samuel, chapter 22. Verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him. I'm going to show you something, okay? I'm going to show you something. How, how, How to activate the potentials of the anointing of God. So David escaped to Adullam because Saul sought for his life. He escaped to Adullam. All his fathers, his brothers, listen to this. And everyone, everyone, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in, and who was in debt, And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him who were distressed, who were in debt, and who were discontented. Now, what did David have to give them? What did David have to give men who were in debt? Men who were discontented. Men who were in distresses. What did he have? Because he himself was under distress. He himself was a fugitive from King Saul. So what did he have? That that would make him captain over them. 
Let's look at the end of this man's life. First Chronicles. Four hundred men. Remember them, right? Four hundred. They came to him. What? Let's see these men, right? What became of them? Let's see. First Chronicles. Whew. Hallelujah. <laughs> Chapter 29, verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now, for the house of my God I have prepared with all, with all, with all, with all, with all, I have prepared for the house of the Lord my God with all my might. Gold. I have prepared for the house of the Lord with all my might. What? Gold. So, how, how did he get the gold? How did he get the gold? How did he get the gold? He just told us how he got the gold. How did he get it? Let's read first. <laughs> Let's read first Samuel. Pause there, right? Let's read first Samuel. Chapter 16, <coughs> verse 11. And Samuel to say, said to Jesse, are, are all the young men here? And he, then, then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, good looking. Matters how you look. And the Lord said, <laughs> and, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Right? Right? Now, this is where I want King James. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So when he said with all his might, with all his might, what was he referring to? He, he, he was not only referring to his physical strength, but from where he was drawing the strength. Okay. Colossians. Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Are we all there? Amen. Therefore, to this end, I also labor, 
You see that? Striving, fervently laboring or striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So David was referring to the energy that was coming from the anointing that was upon him. So he said, I prepared with all my might. L listen to what Paul says. I, I labor, right? Striving according to the energizing. That's the word energize, working or operation. Striving according to the energizing of his what? That means the energy of what? The energizing of God's energy, of God's spirit that's working in him. And not just working, mighty. So he's able to labor because what? The energy is working mightily. So there's a mighty operation of that energy. And we know that energy to be the anointing of God. We, we, you can even uh, 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 say the, the grace of God. So here's this man, David, saying, For the house of the Lord my God. Let's, let's read First uh, Chronicles again. Just lift him up a little. Just give First Chronicles 29, verse 1. So when you say with all my might, remember, okay? Furthermore, King David, uh, yeah, verse 2. Now for the house of the Lord my God, I've prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold. Silver for things to be made of silver. Now, hey, hey, hey. Where did he get it? Where, where did he, where, you know, it said that the value of all that David alone gathered for the building of the temple of God was in today's monetary terms, a hundred billion dollars. One hundred billion dollars. That's what scholars are saying. Let me ask you a question. Was Solomon richer than David? Was Solomon wiser than David? Yeah? Was Solomon richer than David? Was Solomon wiser than David? But God said what? No man, right? Will be. But question is, was Solomon wiser than David? <laughs> Let me ask a question, right? Okay, well, I've been asking questions. <laughs> Let me ask another question. Why did God approach Solomon, anoint Solomon? Do you know David is the only king that anointed a king? Kings are always set in, in, on the throne after the death of their prede uh, predecessor, right? But David is the only one that set a king while he was still alive. 
toward the end of his life, you, you, you know, you, you know how they would how they would refer to him. Yeah, the man of God who is like unto the angels. <laughs> Everything Solomon is was because of David's grace. The Bible never said Jesus sits on the throne of Solomon. <laughs> the dynasty is David's. Jesus, the Bible talks about the keys of David, not the keys of Solomon. The throne Jesus is sitting on now is, is David's throne. Among men in the heavens, he's the only one with a crown. There's a reason. There's a reason. So, at the end of his life, this man had amounted so much money for the house of the Lord. With all his... That means that man was what? Hmm. The man was hot. Let's read. Onyx stones to be set, glistening, right? Then he speaks about his affection for the house of the Lord and so forth, right? And then I, I want you to read verse 6. Then, ah, let, let, let me read you this in a more contemporary uh, translation. Let, let me read this to you in a more contemporary translation. Right? Then the clan leaders, the head of the tribes, the army officers. Who are these? Who are these people? Do, do you know who are these people? The clan leaders, the army leaders. Do you know who are these people? There were the 400 men of David. So here's David. He's, he's presenting to the people and to the Lord what he's giving. And then following him comes the ones despondent. The ones broke. The ones in debt. Here they are coming, the clan leaders, the army leaders. And the administrative officers of the king. Pledged huge, huge, pledged huge sums of gold, silver, foreign currency. Also, 675 tons of bronze. 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed great amounts of jewelry, which were deposited at the temple treasury with Jehaliel. Everyone was excited and happy for this opportunity of service. And King David was moved with deep joy. Huh? 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 Are, are these the same man? Yes. What happened to their story? Because when they came in, they came in despondent, distressed, afflicted, wretched. Mm. What happened? What happened? I know your works. So, 
Sometimes between the time they met David and at the end of David's life, the end of their run together, these men were wealthy. I mean, if they could give so much tons, how many tons do they have left? <laughs> I know. So these men were not lukewarm. They were able to tap into that anointing that was on David. And, and, and do, 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 you, do you know how that anointing worked? Do, do you know the anointing upon David's life only worked when he fought? Oh, yes. There's a reason why the Bible, when, when, when the elder met John, said, do not cry, do not weep. Remember? Then what did he say? For the lamb and the what? The lion of the tribe has what? <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah. Can I explain something to you? Let me explain, let me explain the mystery to you, right? When, when, when Jacob was blessing his sons and he came to Judah, he, he said something strange. He, he said the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is Jesus. Right? But then, oh, do you wanna? So, so the scepter, in other words, the lineage of rulership and the, the heavenly uh, lineage of the priesthood was Judah. So according, according to God's mind, Judah was supposed to have the priesthood. It went to Levi. You know why it went to Levi? Because the time they came, the time Moses came down from the mountain and everybody else, including Judah, had been worshipping the idol, right? Moses said, Moses said, who is on the side of the Lord? And only Levi stood up. And then God said, because of that, I will reward Levi with the priesthood. But by destiny, the priesthood was supposed to go to Judah. Also, the, the kingdom. Are you following me? That, that is why when, 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 when John the Baptist said, no, you, you need to baptize me, not, not you, um, I, you. Jesus said, no, suffer it to be so now that all righteousness may be fulfilled. And he laid hands on him and baptized him. What was he doing? He was not just laying hands on him. No, he was transferring the priesthood from Levi into Judah. Because God said, I have said you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was what? And a? He was king and? Now you understand who was talking to John when he said, do not cry, do not fear. It was Melchizedek. Anyways, so, 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 so the scepter, the scepter departed. So the priesthood left Judah. Right? The priesthood left Judah and went to Levi. So Levi was the caretaker of the office until God restructured the whole program. Okay? So what then happens that Judah only was, remained with what? The scepter of what? Of kingship. But then Judah, Judah, Jacob's son, did something that was very grotesque. 
right? He slept with his son's wife, Tamar. And then he did something that was very prophetic. He took, he took the scepter, the scepter, the symbol of the authority that he was supposed to be a custodian of until Shiloh comes. He took it and gave it to Tamar. So that day, based on the scene, there was a transference of what? Of kingship away from Judah. Then God said, then God said, the blessing of Judah shall leave his house for 10 generations. Okay, okay let's read. Let's read Ruth. Let's read the book of, 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 of Ruth. That's why Jesus, Jesus is identified as the son of Abraham, the son of David. Because between, between Abraham and David, the scepter had left. So the lineage was transferred because of the sin of who? Of Judah. Because Judah slept with his sons. So, so from that time up until David was 10 generations, we'll count. will count. Chapter 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel. And may, be, may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better than the seven, than seven sons has born to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and, began, and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed, the grandfather of David. So the, the, the story began to change. Why? Because spiritually now, spiritually now, things had to, had to go back into alignment to ensure that the lineage of Jesus was preserved. So it started with Ruth and Boaz. And then I want, you, I want us to count. So the son of, of Ruth and Boaz was who? Obed. All right. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Right? Let's, let's read. This is the genealogy of? Paris. Of who? Paris. Okay. Do, do, do you know Paris? Who's Paris? Okay, let's read Genesis. Let's read Genesis. Genesis, Genesis 46, verse 12. I don't know why I'm moving out, but it's fine. Genesis 46, verse 12. The sons of, verse 11... The sons of Levi were Gershon, Go, uh, Kohath, Merari. 
the sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez. But and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And then the Bible says the sons of Perez. Notice the genealogy of, of Judah starts from, continues from who? So who is Perez? From who? From Ta? So he's the son of Judah from Tamar. But the rights of the firstborn could not go to Perez because he was a bastard. Yes. Oh, they weren't supposed to. So 10 generations had to skip before that bastard sheep was forgiven. <laughs> so let's go. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Number one. Perez begot two. Hezron begot three. Ram begot how much? Now, where are we? Abinadab begot five. Nashot began six. Salmon begot seven. Boaz begot eight. Obed begot Nine. Jesse begot? What? Ten. So when God was saying to Samuel, don't anoint Eliahab, I've rejected him. It wasn't just about the fact that he was not worthy. No, it was a generational thing. And notice, David is the last born of Perez. I mean, of, of Jesse. The Bible says, a, the, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, the root of Jesse. So when Jesse begot David, that was symbolic of Christ. Because the time of judgment had passed. And now a rod, a branch had now stemmed that would to rule the kings or the kingdoms of the world. And guess who God chose? The last born. Born in Jesse's old age. And there was rumor that he, he, he got her from a prostitute. Based on what David said when he said, in iniquity, I was born. Anyway, it's just a story for another day. So every time, every time Jesus as a man of war, is referred to. is always in link to David because that anointing came strong when he began to fight. He has taught my fingers to war that I may break the bronze bow with my hand. He was not a weak man. He was a mighty man. And with that might, he prepared gold. So what did he teach the mighty man? Do, 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 you do you know, do you know, do you know, after David killed Goliath, there were still giants? 
And David never touched any of those giants. You know who touched them? The mighty man. When they came to David, they came despondent. While they remained to, the Bible said their faces were like faces of lions. It says one of them, one of the captains, one of the, he killed a thousand men with a javelin. It's prophetic. If you learn how to fight, you will enjoy spoils. If you learn how to fight, you will enjoy the spoils of victory. And David taught his men one thing. He taught them how to fight. I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. Lukewarmness can never bring riches. Let's go back to Revelation. I took a detour, but sorry, sorry. <laughs> Life will never conform to you. You got to do what David did. You know what he said? You know what he said? You know, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? (laughs) 17 years old. 17 years old. Who dares bring a blasphemy, a reviling accusation against the armies of the Lord? Then he asked, what shall be given to the man who kills him? (laughs) (laughs) They told him the kings will exempt them from tax and all that, and then he will have his daughter. He said, tell the king, uh, I can defeat him. (laughs) (laughs) They went, they say, the Bible says, the Bible says, Saul was head and shoulders. He was the the tallest man in Israel, Saul. And they got they say, sir, there's there's a boy who who says he can deal with Goliath. David never ran away from challenges. He never ran away from challenges. He embraced challenges because he was conscious of covenant. He embraced challenges because he was conscious of anointing. Some of you are facing challenges right now in your life, and all you want to do is sleep the whole day. No one wake up to face the day. Why? It's too, it's too tough. How, how do you win without fighting? He says, if, if you fail in the strength, I mean in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. So he says, bring him here. He said, I can, Paul said, you know what Paul said? He said, he, he, he has been a man of war since his childhood, and you are a child. How do you think you will? <laughs> he said, sir, sir, one day, a lion came after one of my father's sheep. A, a lion 
came after my father's sheep, I went after it. You. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went after it. You see, you see, that was what, that was what made God choose David. You see, David knew about Samson. These were men who walked in the streets and a lion threatened, he took a lion, he tore it with his bare hands and then he kept quiet. Yeah. He didn't publicize it, no. Yeah. Kept quiet, left it there and, he le- and, and, and said nothing about it. Mm. David said, I, I went after it. She said, I tore it with my hands. She said, I tore it with my hands. Do you know how strong a lion is? <laughs> And then he said, one day, a bear came. And I killed it. Yeah. Saul moved back. Okay. Here's my armor. He said, this thing is too heavy for me. I don't operate this way, sir. Thank you. See, when you're confident enough to meet the challenges in your life, God will back you up. David was the only one in Israel that charged forward. Everyone went backward. The Bible says he took him. He took him from hewing the sheep. I mean, from, 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 from shepherding the, the hues, the sheep, to making him the shepherd of his own people. Because God reckoned, if this guy can go after a lion for a sheep, would he not go after a nation? for my people. <laughs> and God said, ah, this is my boy. This is my boy. This is my boy. A boy who loves challenges, who love to fight. Love to fight to protect his own. God said, ah, that's my one. That's my anointed. Remember, Eliahab was in the army. He was in the army of Saul. He, he didn't volunteer to face him. David that day was sent by his father to just bring cheese, yeah. to check up in his brother and bring cheese to them. <laughs> so he was an errand boy. Yeah. Yeah. Eliab was hiding along with all the soldiers. And he heard Goliath spitting some vulgar. He says, let me go to him. And he faced him. Goliath says, what, what mean is this? What mean is this? He says, he says, this day I will feed your head to the carcasses. Yeah. David said, no, I will feed your head to the carcasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey. He said, you are so weak. You come against me with a sword, my God, and with a spear. But I come against you in the name of the Lord. And Goliath said, ha, ha. The Bible says, the Bible says when Goliath charged forth, David didn't go back. The Bible says, David charged forward. He ran toward him. The Bible says, that day, David, uh, you know, that scripture always hits me. It says, that day, David cut off the head of Goliath, yet there was no sword in his hand. 
That's what the Bible says. Yet there was no sword. Mafitra Adai. There was no sword in his head. Yet he cut it off. I know your works. You see, I'm going to teach you something that if you can carry with you for the rest of your life, not only would it improve your life, not only would it change your life, but you, you will outlast every cycle, every season in this life. You know, there are some people who, who, cannot, who cannot survive in certain seasons. Like now, there's a global recession. There are many people who won't survive this. Once, once you see, now they are, they are doing everything they can to try and stop it. Once they fail, and, and we, we are now in a confirmed official recession, many won't survive. Because of the hyperinflationary rate, I mean, uh, nature, that recession brings. And that, that thing is what causes people to come into wretchedness. Because, because things, will, things, things that were easy to buy would now become difficult to buy. Because the purchasing power of what you have today is not able to match with the supply that is in circulation. So that means the more money in market, the less value it has. So everything crumbles. And some people cannot survive the crumbling phases because remember, everything crumbles to be rebuilt. That's how life works. At some point, everything must break down. So that it can be rebuilt. Baba says you do not put new wine in, in old wine skins. You can't because you, you will destroy the wine and the old wine skin. He says you shall not be afraid when heat comes. <laughs> I mean, oh, do, do, think about somebody who's lived through World War II or World War I, they are still alive. Do you, do you think anything that happens or that has happened after has, has shaken them? No, because, because that experience fortified their minds. So they are able to outlast and outlive patterns, cycles, and all these things that take place in the world. The person who experienced World War II will react differently to the person who has never uh, uh, experienced it. So let's teach. Let's teach. Let's go to Revelations and then let's, let's get into this. Hallelujah. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse 18. So now you know why you may be poor, you may be miserable, you may be blind. It's not, it's not because of poverty, it's because you are lukewarm. You, you are laxed in your approach to life. You, you, you have to be, you have to be what? You have to be hot. <laughs> you have to be, you have to be hot. Life does not tolerate lukewarmness. lukewarmness. You have to know which side you're on. Then Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold. <laughs> that you may be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. But, but I want to focus on that first part. I counsel you to buy with what? To buy from me. So Jesus sells gold to make rich. Proverbs. I counsel you to buy gold. So Jesus is not against riches. He's an advocate. He's an ambassador for wealth. You, you must understand, he is the embodiment of wealth. He said, for thou art slain to receive riches. He, he's an ambassador. Jesus makes rich. Satan makes rich. Only men make themselves poor. Satan, Satan, Satan can't make you poor. You can only make yourself poor. He says, thy workmanship in the day that thou were created. All that thy workmanship, the sapphire, the gold, the onyx stone, were perfectly laid on you. So you must know, Satan is, Satan is wealth conscious. Look at the world. Go to Las Vegas. You don't find shacks in Las Vegas. <laughs> go, go to every satanic hotspot. Go to every satanic hotspot. They ain't shacks. They ain't shacks. Opulence. Why? Why? Only men make themselves live in slums. Not Satan. Satan doesn't have the power to make you poor. Oh my God. He doesn't have that power because the power to make to make to make you poor originates from you. That's why you can't be poor saving Satan. Wait, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Then he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, who, what's mammon? Mammon, mammon is the Syrophoenician god of money, god of wealth. 
the Syrian god of wealth. Look at, look at the whole system, right? I mean, if you work for companies, if you got the qualifications now, you, 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 can, you can get 500,000, 600,000, 700,000 a month. So this world is not designed to make you poor. What this world is designed to do is to eliminate the, the weak from the strong, the able and the incapable. That's what this world does. That's what capitalism does. Capitalism says you can be rich if you add value to the market. So the only person that is capable of making you poor is you. The Bible says, we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that he was rich, yet for your sakes he became. Who made him poor? He became. Poor. He became. He didn't say he was made. He became. That means you are, you are never made poor. You become poor. You, be, you become poor. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm sure I had to buy. Right? Because Jesus is a seller. He's a merchant. <laughs> I'm going show you how to buy. Wow. I'll show you how to buy. Um, I said Proverbs, right? Uh, Proverbs chapter um, So you can't blame God You can't blame demons You must blame For your works For your Because Jesus knows What work will render you poor. The Bible says promotion does not come from the east, from the west, or from the south, but it comes from the Lord. Why are you still not promoted today? Because the Bible, the Bible says promotion does not come from the east, or from, it comes from the Lord. Why are you not experiencing promotion? It's because the Lord rejects you. He rejects you from promotion. Under normal circumstances, if there are three people applying for the same job, you would always take the one with the most qualifications and experience. If all of them have the same qualification, the metric is not qualification anymore, is experience. If they all have experience, it's not about experience anymore, it's about what? It's about value.
asking, if promotion does not come from any man, the east, the west, the south, and it comes from the Lord who you say loves you, where is your promotion? Let's read. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 7, please. Can we read? Let's read, please. Wisdom is chief. It's primordial. <coughs> it's essential to existence. He says wisdom is the principle. You know, there's, there are, there's, there's one Hebrew word that is, that, that is comprised in three Greek words for wealth. Right? That word the Bible used there is hakmot, hakma. Right, before I tell you what hakma or hakmot means, let me tell you the three Greek uh, words that comprise this word. Right? The first of those words is called Sophia. Sophia was the feminine goddess of wisdom or ecstasy. So Sophia in Greek mythology was regarded as the goddess that would give insight into the reality of things via stimulation. So there would be a drug or some substance, a plant, that you would ingest or inhale that would elevate your state of consciousness to see beyond the ordinary. So, in New Testament terminology, Paul began to adopt that communication in referring to the nature of God's wisdom as Sophia. As the wisdom that gives you insight. It's like the opening of the eyes to see things as they are. So, Sophia is what's regarded as insight into reality. So it gives you insight into the nature of things. And that's why the Bible says Jesus is our Sophia. He's, he's our ecstasy. He helps us see as things are. So that's why when you adopt Jesus, it is the light of reality. So that's what Sophia is. Right? And then you get Sunesis. Right? Sunesis, in many instances in the New Testament, is either trans translated as knowledge and understanding. Now, what Sunesis means, it is a mental fitting, mental completing of a puzzle. It means to mentally put things together. It, it means to join the dots. That's Sunesis, and it's regarded as wisdom. So, so Sophia gives you light, insight into reality. Sunesis helps you, what? Helps you connect the dots of things. Which implies that life is fragmented 
into many parts. And it is your responsibility to compartmentalize every single thing to get the puzzle to fit together. So life is a mystery that only Sunesis can give you understanding of. And then you have the third level of that word, which is called phronesis. Phronesis is, is what is regarded in, 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 in Greek uh, uh, literature as the highest kind or the highest form of wisdom. Now, that highest form of wisdom comes from a mindset. It, is, it comes from the Greek word friend. When the Bible says to set your mind, he's talking about friends, set your mind. It means, it means a predetermined or a prefixed attitude, a prefixed mindset that operates through practicality. So really, phronesis, which is friend, a mindset, does what? It gives you not only perspective, but it gives you the practicality of life. So all these other forms of wisdom, Sunesis and Sophia, are theoretical. But Sunesis is practical. That's why the Bible says the blessing comes from doing the word, not hearing. Because hearing will make you wise. But doing will bring the blessing, which is, which is uh, uh, phronesis. Now, uh, uh, the, 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 the description of, of phronesis comes from uh, the, when, when the Bible talks about the spirit of Elijah and the wisdom of the just. That's the phronesis of the just. It is a mindset. It is a mind that loves God. It is a mind that is obsessed. That's what phronesis means. Now, all these Greek words are, are, are come from one Hebrew word, which is called hagmot. And you know what hagmot means? Skill. Skill. So the Bible says, skill is chief. Skill will win over your educational qualifications. <laughs> Skill will win over educational, formal educational qualifications. It's better than it. Because the world is moving away from an educational based into a more skill based economy. Now, it's not surprising because remember, Satan was a being of wisdom. Bible says you were full of wisdom in the day you were created. That means this whole system is run by wisdom. And that's why more than anything else, Satan will always go for the skillful. He'll always go for the talented. Why? Because that's what makes money. When a team, when a football team goes and buys a player for 100 million euros, 100 million pounds. You are thinking, wow, 100 million pounds, huh? 100 million pounds. When they buy them, they're looking at two things. They're looking at whether or not this player is an asset or, and whether or not this player's brand or image can generate revenue for us. Barcelona's finances, Barcelona's finances, right? were said to have largely been boosted by the presence of Lionel Messi. 
Lionel Messi, in marketing alone, bought Barcelona 30% of their revenue. 30%. When Ronaldo moved to Juventus, in his first day, he had sold $62 million worth of T-shirts. Oh, he's a human being. Why can't you generate that <laughs> amount of money? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, why, why can't you generate that amount of money? Messi for five years, you know how much he was paid, boy? 500 million euros. That's over six billion to play football for five years. for a club, six billion. He signed a two-year contract being paid 26,000 euros, which is about $32 million a year. That's excluding bonuses. And he had a sign-on fee of 150 million. Kylian Mbappe had a sign-on fee, sign-on fee bonus just for renewing his contract of 160 million dollars. Floyd Way Meda is regarded as the highest earning boxer ever. He would not make a less than 100 million dollars for a fight. 12 rounds, 40 minutes in a ring. 100 million dollars. That's 1.5, billion rents to be in a boxing ring for 40 minutes. Lose or win. What? Lose. Ronaldo sold his image rights for 12 years for 415 million. LeBron James signed a lifetime deal with Nike that would give him around $900 million. Lifetime deal. Why? Why? What exposes these men, these individuals, to so much wealth. And by the way, Ronaldo didn't finish school. His highest grade was grade six. Wisdom is the Wisdom, what? Floyd Way Meda, no education. 
talking about Mike Tyson. Prisoner. What's wrong with you? Lack of wisdom. You don't have the wisdom necessary to fit in the world. That means the world honors one thing. Skill. Doesn't matter where you come from. You can be from the slum. The Bible says, he that is faithful shall enjoy riches. Wisdom <laughs> is the principal thing. Jesus knew it. To function in the world, you need skill. That's why most of these disciples were businessmen. He himself was a businessman. Why? Skill. Wisdom. What? Neymar, deadbeat broke. If you, if you saw his house, if you watch his documentary and saw where he grew up, <laughs> mums. Extension 6, extension 7 site. That's where he grew up in Brazil. <laughs> Neymar Jr. What put him on the world stage? Look at everybody who's on the world stage now. It's not because they were sitting in a classroom <laughs> writing tests day in, day out, assignments. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wisdom is the principal thing. Then he says, in all thy getting, The understanding of how to operate the skill. Because you can have skill, but if you don't understand how to give it value. So he says, understand skill, but also have a broad perspective of how things work. Because the world, the world, I told you last week, I said, money is a measurement of the value you place on your time. That's what I told you, right? The money is a measurement of the value you place on time because time is the true currency of life. God gave us everything the same in time. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no more time given to someone who is richer more able, more wealthier than you, than you have. All are given the same, 24 hours in a day. Are they not 12 hours in a day? And everybody is engaging in that 12 hours. But it is the prioritization 
and the priorities that you place on that 12th hour that will either separate you from the rest or make you part of the rest. I told you, if you don't learn how to fight, and fight the right way, all these giants in your life, they will keep threatening you, they will keep undermining you, they will keep running over you. All of us here, you, there's no one here who can, who can not say that money is not necessary. No one here can look me in the face like, oh, I, don't, I don't care about money. Hey. <laughs> yeah, money is not everything. It does not, listen, money may not make you happy, but money sure does make you happier. Yeah. <laughs> it, may, you, it makes you happier. And there's something that money can do for your life that is so powerful. And that's the fact that it can buy you time. So, life isn't a function of the misfortunes that have come upon you. Life has been a function of your works and the consequences that come from it. You can achieve anything in this world. You can be anyone in this world. You can choose. You can choose. Maybe you have not been told this. You can choose. You can decide. At any point in your life, say, mm -mm. I need to elevate. Now, if you decide to elevate, you see, here's, here's, here's a problem with many of you, okay? Here's a problem with many of you. Your, your dreams, your aspirations, your desires do not align with your value systems. You have terrible value systems. You, you cannot say you want to be the best and then you sleep 14 hours a day. Yeah. Do you see what you want and who you are does not align. <laughs> so what needs to happen? You need to change who you are. You need to change who you are because even if you can take a step, right? By the time you take the third step, you will go six steps backward because of who you are. You, you must understand what affects you in your life more than anything, more than your external environment, is, is your internal structuring. Amen. The Bible says this. The Bible, I, I hope you're listening, you're following with the man series, right? The Bible says, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and God breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. So even though he's a spirit, he lives from his soul. 
He lives from his soul. So whatever will happen in your life will be dictated by what is going on in your soul. So if, 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 the, if, the, right, if the right values, the right standards are not set, it doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you wish. Moses' life began at 40. A man at any point in their lives can change. Can change. There's no reason why. The only reason, the only limitation only exists in the strongholds that are erected within you. Everybody wants money here. And guess what? Money is available for everyone. <laughs> money is... You see, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something about money. Money moves. Money moves. Do you know that? Proverbs 23. That means if you're not rich in your mind, you'll never be rich in your, in your pocket. If you're not rich in your mind, God, the Bible says God is able to do above all that we ask or think. Imagine. If you don't imagine anything, what can God do? Because God never said he's able to do beyond what you don't think. The basis of God's ability over your life starts from what you think. Ask or think is the same. I told you, I told you on Friday, I told you on Friday that God doesn't need to answer your prayers. He doesn't need to answer your prayers for, for things in your life to happen. There are people God is not answering them. Life, oh Lord God Almighty. Listen, you, you don't need God to prosper in life. You don't need God. But there are people God helps anyway. Yes. You, do you know why? Yeah? They think. <laughs> they imagine. You see, God has made man a free moral agent. That means he can choose to live in this world without God and still succeed. Look at Cain. Look at Cain. Look, look at Cain. Cain decided, the Bible says, and he departed from the presence of the Lord and built a city. Why didn't he build a city while he was still in the presence of the Lord? Why didn't Cain build a city when he was in the presence of the Lord? The Bible says, he departed from the presence of the Lord and he built a city. I thought God cursed him. I thought God, God cursed him. But he, he could build a city. 
His son, Jabal. Jabal Kane. Do you, do you know, the Bible says what? He's an inventor of musical instruments. Huh. Yet he was living outside the presence of the Lord. How was he doing it? How? When they were building it, how were they doing it with the Lord? Did they ask God's permission? Was it succeeding? God was threatened. <laughs> and they did it without God. Okay. So they were prospering without God. You are a free moral agent. Jesus, as the Father, has life within himself. So is he giving me life to have within myself. That means you could function independently from God. Look at Adam. And he brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. The Bible never said Adam. Adam said, Lord, what should I name them? So he did that independently from God. God didn't help him. Did God help them sin? So you don't need God to... Pro you, you, you need your mind. Are you listening to me? You, you need your mind. You, you need your mind. Not God, your mind. You need... Let us make man in our image... And after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Does, does, does God need angels? Does God need you? Are you made in his image? Are you made in his likeness? Do you need him? So you mean I can live in, I'm talking about when it comes to what? You don't need God. Look, 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 look at Warren Buffett. He built all his wealth and he, he's an agnostic. See, I don't, if there's a God, I don't know. He's been living like that. He's now 80 something. If there's a God, I don't know. I don't know if there's a God. <laughs> But did that stop him from making money? No. Did that stop him from being wealthy? No. So what made him wealthy? His mind. Hey, are you listening? <laughs> He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Or think. Or think. Ask or 
ask or so whether you are he says you can you can get the same results from asking and thinking you see how, how they pray they think as a man thinks as a man this thing which they shall not be kept from why they, they thought it. Because man, man is a species with the DNA of God. Something, see, this is something you, 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 you need to drill into your consciousness. Because some of you, Christianity has made you more lazier, more, more unattractive, more derogatory. Because you think, you think Christianity, Christianity is there to, to keep you in, in, in the sanctuary. <laughs> you know, when you study the life of Jesus, you notice one thing about him. You notice one thing about him. That he preached more outside the synagogue than in the synagogue. Do you know why? Do you know why? Yeah? Do you know why? Because life is to be lived. He, he said, I have come that they may have. I have come that they may have. Some of your churches make it, make it seem like God doesn't want you to have no life. Everything about your life should be church, pastor, and God. <laughs> In living, God said, I have come that they may have life. What is life? Look at the garden. Look at the garden. Look at Abraham. Look at all God's friends. They were living. They could move from place to place. You can't move from place to place. You, you can't move from place to place. Why can't you move from place to place? Ah. That means the presence of Jesus in your life should make you better, should give you more advantage than people who live without him. Because you have him. Now, now you have him, but you are worse off than the people who don't have him. salvation, eternity come. Today. Today, you got to eat. Today, you got to wear clothes. Today, you got to move. Not in heaven. You, you know what I said to God? I said, I'm not willing to serve. That's what I said. I said, Lord, I'm not willing to serve a God whose temple and sanctuary is arrayed in gold, but would allow his servants to live like in the slums. 
Because what's the use of me telling people, oh, Murimu, Liel Horimong, oh, Halifitali Horimong, Nitratabatel, oh, Golid Eloyamundoshon Jalmotu, Pegitatun, Seliso. I'm not about that life, Lord. I'm, I'm not about that life. Because how do I testify of streets of gold? when my shoes tell a different story. Yeah, it's fine to start out that way, right? We all must start somewhere. But to continue that way, oh, oh, I'll turn. I'll say, this is the wrong road. Huh? This is the wrong road. If you study the Bible, you notice one thing, that God never associated himself with poor people. That if, if he found them poor, they would not stay that way. But he never associated himself. He never had a long-term relationship with poor people. Abraham was not in Lazarus' bosom. Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. There's a difference. They were in hell. The rich man didn't ask for Abraham to bring the water. He asked for Lazarus. Because Lazarus was, was, was in Abraham's bosom. He was a servant there. That means there was a disparity. Even though he was in Abraham's bosom, there was a distinction. You could see that, no, this one is, is higher than this one. Probably because of the clothes they wore. They don't, they, they, they don't call paradise Lazarus' bosom. It, it's called Abraham's bosom. The man was blessed in all things. That, that's who was the landlord there. They, they don't call Jesus, they, 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 they don't call Jesus the son of uh, uh, Lazi. <laughs> He's the son of Abraham, the son of David. There's a distinction. The son of Abraham, the son of David. Who are those two men? Poor? Mm. Brokenness is not a sign of holiness. It's a sign of stupidity. That's what it is. Not holiness. You, you, you're going to have a very difficult time being holy while broke. Tell, tell me, how are you going to practice holiness being poor? Because you have to lie, you have to steal, you have to cheat. Poverty don't make you holier. It makes you, it makes you dirtier. Wisdom is the principal thing. All of God's friends were mega. Were mega. All of his friends. All of 
were mega. God had friends on earth. And you know what, 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 what was the identifying mark? Yeah? Abnormal wealth. When a man is rich beyond, you know the Queen of Sheba, he said that half of it was not told. The Bible says her spirit left her, she fainted. She says, yeah, I heard, the, the half of me. And then the Bible says, and Solomon became the king over the kings of the earth. Kings came to him. You know, I had a vision of Jesus saying, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, keep your I love you, bro. Uh, <laughs> keep it. Uh, I need some change. Uh, come on. Now, now, let's take this a little bit deeper, right? God was going to destroy the world, but he still needed Noah to build an ark to save himself. That means God, God is not willing to save you without you participating in that saving process. If your life is going to change, you're going to be part of the solution. You're not going to be a beneficiary of the solution. So God said to Noah, he said, I'm going to destroy this world, but you must build an ark. God never built it. Noah had to build it. You pray too much. That's your problem. And then you behave like you are fine. You are not fine. You are jealous. You are not fine. You are envious. You are not fine. You are bitter. Because somebody else's success reminds you of where you are. Your fa somebody else's success are a reminder of your failures, where you're stationed in life, why you're unwilling to build. You can look to the heavens. What's going to come from the heavens? Go build. See to it that you build. God never said to Moses, boy, I'm going to build you. I'm going to build you something that the whole nations of the world. God said, see to it that you build according to the pattern that was shown you. Doesn't matter how many visions you have, you must still build. Doesn't matter how many dreams you have, you must still build. Some of you tell yourself you are big dreamers. Big dreamers for what? If you are unable to duplicate in reality what you've seen in your sleep. Can't live in dreams. You only live in reality. And, and, and the bridge between the unseen dreams and their actualization is the building. On earth, God can't lift a stone without you. Wisdom is the principle. Every problem that has ever arisen for man has been solved through human engineering. Whether or not you see the divine element, all you see is the human engineering. You don't need to fail. But you will fail if your need for a better life 
does not outweigh your comfortability. If you remain lukewarm, what is lukewarm? It's inconsistency. Seest thou a consistent man in his work? It says, yea, he shall stand before kings and not mean men. And not mean men. That means men of no repute. The only great man some of you stand before is God. And that's fine. Money is vital. Listen, money is And, and you got to decide, I'm going to make money. You see, until you decide that, until you decide that, you Zopila in La La Land. Some of you are not saying, I'm going to make money. You know what some of you are saying? No, it's, it's known. You, money is needed. So you are not saying something out of the ordinary. It's known. You need money. So what? What are you going to do about it? You need money? Do you need it? What are you going to do about it? You got to make money. You, you see that? You got to? That's what I mean when I say be money conscious. Be money conscious. You, you got to be conscious, not only of its importance, but also of its need. And then do what? Go make it. I said Proverbs. Let's read Proverbs and then let's, let's go home. But did you learn something? Yes. Verse 6. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. Verse 5, will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. So money moves. You see that? Money moves. Do you, do you understand that? Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Money does not like staying in one place for too long. And, and you know what money loves? Money, money loves to be converted. So you cannot convert money until you have it. And you cannot have money until it moves into your territory. And money cannot move into your territory without what? The availability of what? Of space. The availability of, let me put it this way. It cannot move into your territory if it is not welcomed. And the only way or the only indicator of the welcoming of money is your skill. 
ah, I don't have time. I was going to tell you. But let me tell you a little bit, all right? Look at Genesis, right? What is one quality that is consistent in making it possible for all those things which God created come to be? Huh? Capi? What was God's capital? What was his capital? His? His? So God's capital was his words. And, and what did his word denote? What did his word reveal and manifest about him? That he's a creator? He's skillful? Right? So his capital was what? So a, if a man does not have physical money, right? If he does not have physical capital, what then can be denoted as his most important source of capital? His what? Skill. His what? Skill. You see? So God showed capital which were his words. And the Bible says his words were his what? Were his methodology of working. And then the Bible says God rested from the work which you... So God is hardworking. God is diligent. So diligent is a capital. That's what the Bible says. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. The hand of the... Maketh So your first capital is your skill, is your work. That's, that's your first capital. If, if you cannot master it, forget it. If you're not, listen, if you, if you cannot improve on what you have, one last scripture, then we go home, all right? Luke 16. Luke 16. We'll not read everything, right? Just one portion. Verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourself... By unrighteous, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You know, Jesus was totally unreligious. He, he, he was a bro. He, he was a bro. I mean, Jesus, people loved his company. Sinners loved his company. Do you think do, do you think sinners love religious people? No. But they love Jesus. They love Jesus. Why why would would they be so attracted to Jesus? There was something about his personality that was attractive. Look at Jesus. He's sitting among sinners and they're asking, why are you sitting among sinners? He says, Hey, the physician does not deal with healthy people, he deals with sick people. Jing, 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 jing. 
Jesus. Then here he says, I say to you. He's telling them a story. And then he says, I, I, I say to you. Make friends. Make friends. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. How? How? Or make friends. Or use, use money. And, and if you read that word mammon, it's avarice. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Greek word greed. Money. And Jesus said, make friends. I don't care who you are, what pastor you are. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus said, make friends. <laughs> By unrighteous mammon. So that when you fail, so that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. In other words, if you make friends with unrighteous mammon, when you fail, you will always have a home. So how, how will you begin to make friends if you don't have that unrighteous memory? You don't have. So how are you going to begin to make friends? I, I can say a lot of things there, but I'll pause here. Jesus says unrighteous memory is a necessity. What are you going to do about it? I see a how, Chele. I mean, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at Judas, right? Here's that lady, she comes with her alabaster boss, that expensive perfume, and they're like, hey, what, what mean is this waste? We should have taken the money and given it to the poor. It's not yours. Take your money and give it to the poor. Take your money and give to the poor. You know, there are people who are bothered by what other people are doing by with their money. And they think it's a waste. No, it's a waste at your level. You want money. What are you going to do about it? You need money. What are you going to do about it? No one can answer that question for yourself. No one. Only you can answer it. If you want money, you got to go make it. Noah, you want to be saved? You got to go build the ark. Ain't no shortcuts to life. Ain't no shortcuts to life. Ain't no hands out to life. No, nobody's going to give you a hand out. <clears throat> Governments cannot make people wealthy because that's not what they are designed to do. Governments are not designed to make you wealthy. You know, the only thing that can make you wealthy, that's designed to make you wealthy, is what you build with your own hands, with your own mind. If you will not, you might as well just go pick a tent somewhere and wait for kingdom come. 
and wait for? See, some of you don't value money. That's why it's not with you. You don't value it. You have no respect for it. When, when you have no respect for money, money will not have respect for you. When you have no respect for money, when you don't understand its use, when all you do with money is wasted, all you do with money is misuse it, money will run away from you. The prodigal son was given his wealth. Did it last? It never lasted. Why? Because he was prodigal. He was wasteful with money. That's what prodigal means. Prodigal doesn't mean lost. You, you got to fix, you got to fix some lingos. You got to fix some things. Prodigal does not mean lost. Come home, prodigal son. Come home. When they call the altar calls. No, prodigal is wasteful. If you're wasteful with money, money will leave you. Money will leave you. Understand what money is for. Money is a tool. Money is a weapon. The Bible says, uh, uh, the Bible says, a, a, a man's riches shall be his ransom. Your riches shall be a ransom. Imagine if you don't have it means you have no ransom. I told you a principle two weeks ago. I said to you, God said in his word, never come before me empty-handed. That's a curse. It's not a curse that's pronounced, but it's a curse you are demonstrating. It's a curse. To, to come before God empty-handed, to come before God and say, I have none. Oh. Whew. Whew. You, you, you have no concept of what it is to be, to be a human being. Did you, did, did you listen to the message I recorded on the necessity of sacrifice? If you want spirits to assist in your life, you, ha you have to always have sacrifice. Next time. Maybe you don't do that. You never do that. Because it, it, it will not work well. something. something. And look in that area. something. Mangalomundin <laughs> 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 
Why? Because they work with one thing. Their language is sacrifice. So imagine you come, to, look, you spend how many, maybe two, three hours, eight o'clock, half past eight, half past nine, half past ten, half past eleven. So three hours you spent in God's presence, His Word, teachings, diagnosing, diagnosing you, giving you prognosis, giving you wisdom, giving you, and then you say thank you. Oh, do, do, do you know, do you know? Do you know, do, do you know what you have done? Do you know what you have done for yourself? It was a law in Israel that they never went to see a seer without a gift. They never went to see a seer without a gift. Because it would not, whatever he has to give them would not work. It, not because... Not because of, of an inability or a reluctance. No. But because there are, there, are, there are ways things work. So when God says to you, bring ye your tithes and your offerings, is to protect you. Is to protect you. Because if you don't, you, are protect, you, are, you don't have any protection. I told you money is a defense. Money is a defense. You will wonder why things in your life just... Just. 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 Yes, when I, now he is an humble yobo pel. Because once they do that, you don't know laws of life, you. You, you, you don't know laws of life, you. Bona, bona, bona la mata venena la ogenza gala these days. Who has by yenzan? Why? from time to time. you can try. The Bible never said the weapons will not be formed. Just said they will not prosper. So you can try. How, life, how's about fella in this life, boy? In this life, how's about fella? Langut? Yeah, Kayo understanding. How's about fella in this life? Otomagala, Otomagala, Bato, Basa deserving the positions or when Odi deserving the challenges or the because Mamo fades. 
So mudimu uzamu tu sa hore lwena get into the system. Ukisi sa hore le fatse le bereka No man can dig a mine. Listen to me now. Listen, no man, no man can dig a mine. No man, no man can dig a mine if they have never done appease their spirit. Listen, all these white folks, all these white folks that you think, uh, listen, they, they know this. Listen, who do you think controls the gold that's in the underworld? Who do you think controls the gold in the underworld? And do you think it's... <laughs> they know. You cannot build a casino. All these guys that own Sun International, you can't build a casino. You cannot build a... Ca and do you want me to open your eyes? Yeah? Do you know every major casino is close to a river? Yeah. Every major casino is close to an ocean. It's close to water. Some form of water must be near a casino. Huh. Oh, yeah, it's hard work. It's hard work, Mara. There are foundations that must be laid. Utanguti, how do you think Ramaphosa won his elections? <laughs> how? And then you want to go compete with someone overfitting and Utpitam Zalwan. Babo Felagabon Mabona. Babo Felagabon Tatabon, Nagabana Babona. Babo Felaga family abo. Wena, wena, wena. Wait to ring. Or a God of mercy. <laughs> or Lord of mercy. Oh. Ho, ho. Ho, ho. You, you, you are hearing me. Ho, ho. You ain't ready for life. For life, my boy. You ain't ready. You ain't ready. Why never took no sevens? May I clutch you? Nina, that's next, Nina. Ne? Yeah? Let's access into the scene to this. It's into the same way. It's into the same way. It's into the same way. It's into the same Oh, how do you think? Can you see the same thing? Can Why, why, but me like sabi? Mao shata, me look sabi. Mao in some savings from Tuan, me look sabi. Why? Why? <laughs> you see, you, you see that the, the, 
the current Canada, this stupid guy, this this guy was a pastor. That black guy. Maponya. Maponga. I'm teaching a little bit about life. I'll teach him a little bit about life. You see, the ancestral doctrine, right? The ancestral doctrine came as a result of idol worship. So when men begin to worship demons, the Bible talks about the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord. The Bible talks about the table of demons and the cup of the Lord. That's where all the ancestors sit. So when you hear people say ancestors of a family, ancestors of a family, what they're really referring to is, is familiar spirits. Spirits that have attached themselves to that bloodline. And those spirits pose themselves as their cocos, their, but they are spirits. When the Lord stopped talking to Saul by the Urim and the Tumim and by the priesthood, he went to a witch, right? To conjure up Sam, Samuel by what? By a familiar spirit. Because that's what familiar spirits do. They can emulate. So when you find these guys, they do seances and stuff, and they can look at you and say, your coco is talking to me, what not, what not. It's spirits that have been in that family blood, so they know what's going on. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? Because spirits never die. And sometimes these spirits, these spirits, even the spirit, spirits of your old, uh, uh, family members, what, 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 they're not resting. Remember, remember, remember this, right? Remember, remember this. There is hell and there's the region of the dead. The realms of the dead are where dead people go before they go into hell. Just like before you get into heaven, there are dimensions before you reach the heaven of God. We call it the intermediary realm. Right? It's a dimension between earth and heaven. So there's a dimension between hell and, and earth. And that's where the dead are. Sometimes those spirits linger there for generations. Especially if, if those spirits were killed wrongly, those spirits were not killed right, especially if they are not born again. They linger there. And sometimes, many times, they project through these demonic spirits that need expression to find activity in the dimensions of man, that thing. So sometimes, so this ancestral thing comes from there. It's not a new thing. It didn't come with Africans. You get what I'm saying? So these spirits know the law of, of, of entering through the veil of time. And that's sacrifice. Because sacrifice opens a portal. And depending on the weight of that sacrifice, it depends on how long that portal opens. So you find in a family, there are, there are, there are, there are, you know, many, you know, uh, it's because the portal has been opened by the magnitude of sacrifices. If you want to close that portal, you need a sacrifice. <laughs> 
So you, you, you must know how life works. So when God says to you, thou shalt not come before me empty-handed, it's not, it's not a just no. It's because he knows there are many forces that require entry oppose, in opposition to your life. So what they do is that they go via this ancestral line, via this bloodline. And on the basis of the sacrifices that have been offered, a portal can be opened for those spirits to give expression to their will. That's why when, 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 when Solomon went to the high place to go offer that severe sacrifice, God came to him at night. Why? Because it will be unlawful for a spirit after it has been offered to that much not to appear and request. I mean, and re because uh, what, what do you call it? Solomon didn't say what he wanted. So the spirit needed to know what is this offering for. So when he says, do not come before me empty-handed, <laughs> it's, it's not a suggestion or no. It's a medium of protection. Get understanding. And you must know people don't play.